Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. All right, guys, are we going to call out the elephant in the room? Let's call out the elephant in the room. We are nearly 50 episodes in, and somehow we haven't yet covered the Negroni. But we're addressing that today, and with none other than Jeffrey Morgenthaler, an author, bar owner, and all-round industry legend based in Portland, Oregon. Obviously, Morgenthaler really doesn't need an introduction, and neither does the Negroni. So I'm not going to keep you waiting any longer, but I will warn you this. You should buckle up for a whiskey barrel full of hot takes today and an equal measure serving of unpopular opinions. Honestly, I have no idea why we went so wild with this one. Blame Jeffrey. And without further ado, listener, this is the Cocktail College podcast brought to you by the Fine Pair Podcast Network. And at long last... It's a pair of tea bar. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to get into it. We're going to dive in now. We've had our, had our decaffeinated cafe au lait. <laughs> With or without a single pot still whiskey. <laughs> but we can't leave them waiting any longer. Because you know All what? Right. It's the Negroni. They've been waiting for it. They've been asking for it. People have been previewing it. They've mentioned it in previous episodes. But today wow. we have the guest. <laughs> It's Jeffrey Morgenthaler. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. What's up? How's it going, man? No pressure, Good. by the way. Didn't want to. Didn't want to put the pressure on you there from the get go. But as I alluded to there, this is this is a much anticipated episode of Cocktail College, and I'm going to say <laughs> this: we're with the perfect gentleman for it. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. All right. Give me All right. Give All me right. give me some confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this from the get-go. I, I do know though. I do know this is a cocktail that you have a long-standing relationship with and have been explored in many different ways that we will get into today. But first of all, you know, this is one of the most iconic cocktails in history. So why do you think it's so beloved from a kind of cultural and drinker standpoint? It's kind of crazy how it like sort of went away or, or, you know, nobody, like when I started bartending, nobody knew what a Negroni was. Um, and now it's like, nobody doesn't know what a Negroni is. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and then that happened in a relatively short amount of time, I, I think. You know, um, everyone thinks of it as this classic that's been around forever, but it really like, you know, as far as I can tell, went away for a very, very long time. And I think that's super curious because like all of the other classics that we drink, right, like Manhattans and martinis and old fashions, like like even if people didn't drink those or didn't even really 100 percent knew, like didn't know what it, what was in a Manhattan, like everybody had heard of it. Right. Yeah. But like, you know. 15, 20 years ago, mo I would say that most drinkers hadn't even heard of a Negroni, you know, like I'd been bartending like 15 years ago, I'd been bartending for over a decade and 
the new Negroni felt kind of like almost like new to me. Yeah. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Um, you know, like 15 years ago, I had heard of it three years prior, maybe, you yeah. know, and you were in the, in the field. Do you know what I mean? Like in the industry. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm going to out myself as a bit of a Philistine here from a drinking perspective, but you know, people's palates evolve, but I right. do distinctly recall the first time I tasted a Negroni, I was working at the the Zetter Hotel, the Bistro Bruno Lube in London, and I was doing a shift across the road at the Zetter Townhouse, which you may or may not be familiar with, but it was a, a pretty decent bar back in the day. I was working in the kitchen there. There was a little bit of, you know, trading going on between the kitchen and the bar staff. And a, and a no, chef, no. <laughs> you know how it goes, that old chestnut. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> And so a fellow chef who liked to think of himself as a bit of a culture vulture, you know what I mean? He asks yeah. for a Negroni from the bar staff and he gives me a taste of this cocktail. And I am like, you got to be fucking kidding me. There's no way you like this. You're just drinking this because it has a cool name. It's European and you want to come across as cool. This is too bitter. And, you know, yeah. like I yeah. said, palates evolve over time. But I do totally. think that touches upon something within this story, which is like, is the Negroni's rise in modern times or rebirth like you talk about, is that related to the fact that we are more used to bitter flavors and bitter, bitter ingredients, whether it's within food or drinks, have become more prominent and accepted? Oh, in the past like 20 years? Absolutely. Right? Like the old kale salads. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, I mean, even, even not to like, you know, arugula or, you know, yep. as you say, rocket, <laughs> um, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, nobody knew what that was. And now it's like, it seems like kind of a boring, like when you see it on your menu, you're like, Meh. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that used to know, be the way like you so could commonplace. Yeah, that was the, that was the way you could make like a, a very average restaurant menu just seem kind of fancy like goat cheese and arugula dried cranberries (laughs) and maybe some like some hazelnuts and you got yourself a salad like a late 90s early 2000s salad (laughs) hey don't forget your balsamic reduction yeah and your balsamic vinaigrette yeah totally but yeah it surely is it's interesting but you know you alluded to it before this is a historic cocktail it's one that has a tail it's also debated, but can you outline that for us? And and then maybe once you've told us the, the, the widely recognized version of it, can you give us some of your own interpretations there and, and how you believe things went down? God, it's so... Uh, I don't know how this never gets talked about, but the, the Negroni mythology is that Count Camilo Negroni walked into his local one day and ordered an Americano, which was, you know, which was a, uh, an existing drink, which is just sweet vermouth, Campari and soda water. And he, uh, you know, apparently quote unquote needed something stronger and asked for Amer- an Americano with gin in place of the soda water. And everybody just like accepts that as, as <laughs> fact, um, except for anybody that I know that's ever tended bar for anybody that I know that's ever tended bar for more than five minutes. Like nothing about that story smacks of true. You know, it's like, that's just not how drinks work. Like you don't, nobody thinks of like substituting 
a soda for a, a spirit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it would it would be like saying like the Manhattan was invented because somebody uh, wanted a Jack and Coke, but with sweet vermouth instead of Coke. Like it just like, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make sense, right? Like nobody thinks about drinks like that. Um, you know, I personally, I've, I've just always felt like that that story is horseshit. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm with you on you? that one. Do you, do you buy into this? I don't buy into it either. I mean, I think it's got a great name. And also, you know what? They just land upon the proportions. They just land upon the proportions, right? <laughs> do we know how much the Count himself was drinking gin before that? Like, can't imagine it was big in Italy at the time, but I might be wrong there. I don't know. Well, it was big in the United States where he was like going over and dressing up and playing cowboy uh, <laughs> on a regular basis. Gin was super popular. And, and you know, the one of the most popular drinks at the time was uh, martini, which at the time the recipe for martini was gin, sweet vermouth and bitters. Right. So yep. wouldn't it follow wouldn't it track more closely that that this guy returned from one of his trips to his bar in Italy and said, I had the most wonderful new drink when I was in the United States. It's gin, sweet vermouth and bitters. And the Italian bartender said, well, I have gin, I have sweet vermouth. And then the only thing on my back bar that says bitters on it is this red bottle <laughs> of Campari. I'm, 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 I'm into this. Okay. Is, is, you is, know, is, like that, that makes a lot more sense to me than uh, an Americana with gin in place of soda water. A hundred percent. And right? is this a widely, is this, is this theory that you're putting out there today also like widely spread too? Or are you, are you breaking ground here, Jeffrey? I have no idea. I, I've, I've talked about this like late night with other bartenders over the years, you know, and we've all mm -hmm. sort of like agreed that that makes more sense from a bartenderly perspective. I, I tell you, I tell you one reason I love that you bring this up because there is an aspect of the Negroni that I feel more passionate about than I should, but oh, tell me. it tracks with your version of the story rather than the popular one, mm. at least in my mind. This is described or often found in, you know, maybe online recipe databases, you know, this is supposedly one of the world's great gin cocktails. And my opinion is this is not a gin cocktail. It's a Campari cocktail. Mm-hmm. Talk more about that. I like this. I like this idea. I just feel like you can go, okay, maybe the, the ABV of the gin that you're using is going to have a drastic impact on the final version of the drink. But mm -hmm. I feel like... You can go fairly wild with your gin selection. You can go beefier to aviation, and the Negronis are really not going to taste that dissimilar. 100% agree. But the moment you opt for anything other than Campari, you're totally basically different. eating fries with knockoff brand ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, no one Hunts wants that. Ketchup. Yeah. What's it called? Hunts or something? What is that yeah, one? Yeah, Hunts. Yeah. 
show me you're in a bad restaurant without actually telling me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just chunky ketchup. I totally agree, you know, um, and, and it's funny because I, I think of the drink in the same way, that it really is a Campari cocktail and not a gin cocktail because, um, I mean, quite frankly, you know, if we want to be really, like, uh, contentious, we could say that you could put vodka in that and you pro- it wouldn't make a massive difference either, right? I'm, I'm with you there. I, I really wouldn't. I don't think, like, the, the gin is there for the booze, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, that it's exactly what I did with the... Um, like the amaretto sour, right? It's like not a whiskey cocktail. It's an amaretto cocktail that you just use a little bit of something else to kind of strengthen, right? Because Campari on its own is not very strong. But adding some 94 proof gin, you know, gives it a lot more backbone, right? Yeah. And, and it needs it too. Like those those two ingredients, yeah, I think they, you know, I I, I think they need it. The, the Milano Torino, decent drink, but... You know, I prefer an Americano or a Negroni. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also gonna 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 further muddy my name among the ranks of drinking Philistines here. I have, mm. a, I have another theory about Negronis that have been that I've put out there before, so you know it's out there. I can't wait to hear this. I love how passionate people are about this cocktail, and maybe this is the reason why we haven't covered it to this day, apart from not being able to find the perfect person. However. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think the gulf between the best Negroni you will ever have in your life and a bad Negroni yeah. is relatively small. And and I think that that's why this drink has become so popular because anybody can make it, anybody can make it anywhere. As long as you have the three ingredients and you're right, it doesn't really matter what gin, it, it doesn't even really matter what vermouth, no. you know, I mean, there's, there's differences. Like I, you know, I, I, I can't stand a Negroni made with uh Antica formula. Cause it just tastes like a fucking Tootsie roll to me. <laughs> but, you know, I, hey, by yeah. the way, can I come in here too? I am so with you on that. I like Antica formula as a product, but I Definitely. think that it can, it can hijack cocktails. Oh yeah. It's just chocolate bomb. You know, which is, I think, great in a Manhattan, but in a Negroni, it's just like, ugh, get this thing out of my mouth. <laughs> but you're right. And I and I also think that, you know, while we're just piling on the hot takes, like, I also don't think you really have to measure a Negroni super closely. Like, you know, if you, if you just kind of, I mean, I think we've all done this. Like, we've all come home after a long night and we've we happen to have a freezer with some ice and we've got a glass and we've got the three ingredients and we'll just kind of like glug a shot of everything out of the neck of the bottle without measuring. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then I, and I really think this is where get Gary Regan's like finger stir comes from, you know, we'll glug them out of the bottle, throw some ice in, give it a finger stir. And like, it's a pretty, Negro, pretty good Negroni. Like even if you don't have an orange at home, like whoever has oranges at home, <laughs> I don't, you know, but like you can, you can slap that drink together. Like you can make it in an airport bar. You could probably make it in yeah. a sports bar. If the sports bar has like a dusty bottle of Campari and, and some old vermouth in the back, like yeah. you can kind of make it anywhere with anything. And it's always going to be, and you're right. The gulf between bad and great is like really narrow. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I would argue that I've had very interesting riffs, which we'll get into, but mm. I don't, ever recall having a life-changing classically made Negroni. 
Right, 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 right. <laughs> Where you you're like you're like you want to pry the bartender aside and sort of be like, what did you do? And the, you know, the bartender's gonna be like, well, I used a, an ounce and a quarter of London Dry Gin. Like, <laughs> How did I never think of that? Like that's never gonna happen, right? But do you remember there was that era? And I think it might have been because there was a fairly influential bar that that, that this where the specs are that someone purported this is the way to do it. Didn't they go one three quarter, three quarter instead? They changed the proportions. Yeah, it changed the proportions. It's also too small. Like don't serve us a Negroni that's like only two and a half ounces. Big, I, you know, like Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> When 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 we're only getting like what one ounce of booze, you know, proper yeah, booze. That's not really why we're here is for your, you know, adjusted, uh, you know, your adjusted take. No, but I'm with you there, especially on that take, which is that, like, yeah, equal parts works, and I love the fact, I love the magic of the fact that it does work because we are talking about ingredients yeah. with multiple botanicals and ingredients, you know. Yeah. Across the board, the fact that those three ingredients work together is pretty fucking mind blowing. But do we need to do we need to really dial in on the proportions and get geeky and be like, actually, you know, right. the count was wrong. You want to tweak it by a quarter ounce, or right, 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 right. Yeah. Or I think it's just more. It speaks to the bartending community and evolution over time, and 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 says more about what we want to say about ourselves, right? Like that that we care about these things, and you know we're always striving for perfection. No drink has ever been yeah, perfected. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So that's it. I mean, we've taken down the Groni. So it's going to be a short one today. That's it. We're done. <laughs> All right. Well, no. hey, thanks for having me. Um, it's an honor to be here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean. Look, we've. I think the fact that we can have all these different conversations about different aspects of this drink do speak to why it is so beloved. And and well, what we were mentioning at the top there when we we're a little bit more on track. Um, apologies for that. <laughs> Here's a question I ask every ex- episode, and I, and I am keen for your thoughts because I don't know whether you're going to go deep or whether it's going to be a very simple answer, but. When you're looking at this cocktail, if someone's making it for you or you're making it for yourself, what do you want from that first sip? Like, to our point earlier, do you actually want to be tasting the gin or is it basically just balance? Um, balance, but honestly, like, back to your point, you know, back to the, the, the earlier discussion about how, you know, the recipe really isn't all that important. Um, and the ingredients are all that part. I think the first thing that I want is for it to be cold. Yep. I, I think that's it. Cause I know what it's going to taste like, right? We all know what it's going to taste like. Even if you, again, even if you, you know, used some sort of wonky gin or, 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 you know, did your ounce and a quarter, three quarter, three quarter move or whatever, if it's not like ice cold, uh, you know, then that just sets the tone for the rest of the drink. <laughs> and, you know, we, we, we do like to, at this point, also, like, look into the different ingredients. I mean, I'm not really sure what much there is to say about Campari that we haven't already covered, but to your point about temperature, ideally, are you keeping this in the fridge for your Negroni? In, like, ideal world situation. If I was, you know, if I, if it was something that I was making regularly at home, I would probably put all three ingredients, keep them in the fridge or even like pre-batch it and put it like in the, I don't know, will it freeze? 
I would assume so. Yeah. Yeah. I've never put a, I don't think I've ever put a pre-batched undiluted Negroni in the freezer, but um, yeah, I would consider putting the stuff in the fridge and then just pouring it into a glass with some ice and, you know, giving it a little chopstick stir and being on my merry way. Like, yeah. Yeah. And also like, it's really not a drink that you want over dilution from, is it? No, definitely not. And and also, like, it, it is kind of hard to over dilute that drink because the flavors are so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I you know, cold. Uh, and you know, there are other substitute. You know, there are other things besides Campari. You know, Luxardo makes some decent. Um, but if you want the, you know, if you really want the original and and, and the best, um, I think you got to go with Campari and sure, keep it in the, keep it in the fridge if you want it super yeah. cold. Yeah, no, it, it, it is true that there are alternatives out there. I think what's another one? Maletti? Capaletti? Yeah, Capaletti. Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah, they're decent. Um but yeah, I've even just, had bartenders like house made versions, which I think is like the, one of the stupidest things I've ever. Yeah. <laughs> I always love when bartenders are, like take it, not just Campari, but like any ingredient where they're like, this has been made for 250 years by this company that's been doing it on a global scale, you know, for a quarter of a millennium. Uh, but it can't compare to my, <laughs> my, <thing>. <laughs> <laughs> my five years of experience behind the bar. Yeah, yeah exactly. In, in Seattle, Washington, I make a better version than anybody in Milan, you know, and you're like, Fuck, it's, that's so Seattle. Yeah. It was, well, you know, it goes back to my earlier point there. 57 fucking varieties of different tomato ketchup right don't be making right. your own ketchup and putting it on my no. burger in your restaurant i want the real deal yeah i mean hopefully all that's gone i mean that's a very like 2008 way of eating and drinking it's like housemade campari and housemade ketchup yeah <laughs> <laughs> we need to go through these eras though to kind of appreciate what we had and set, and set some limits for ourselves yeah totally i'm gonna play devil's advocate here for a second because we, we kind of dismissed gin off the bat and that, and that's my personal opinion but i don't think that's fair also for people people listening here too that that, that maybe do want to do more of an exploration on that so i am very keen to keen to hear your thoughts when it comes to this if you are looking to dial in on that ingredient um are you going classic london dry or what's most important is it maybe abv what are you looking for for the perfect component there yeah, I'm going I'm going classic London dry and I'm going at least like 92 94 ABV. Yeah. You know, I really don't want aviation, which I know is like, you know, um being from Portland, you like you're not supposed to say that, but it's like the one gin that I don't want in a Yeah. Negroni. Um I want those like bright herbaceous notes, you know, I don't want like fucking sarsaparilla or whatever in my Negroni. Ryan Reynolds, cheesy marketing in my... Bracing, muscular, tight, junipery, citrusy gin. Like, I usually go Beefeater, Tanqueray. Yeah. You know? How are you feeling about the, the, the Beefeater thing? Are we over that yet? Oh, what what's the latest uh, scandal? I don't pay attention to this stuff. 
Uh, they shaved a couple of points of ABV um, off off their gin during the pandemic, and 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 they thought some folks wouldn't notice, and then people were up in arms. Yeah, um, whatever. Um, to, Toby, but, quick you know. sidebar here. Your buddy Toby Giacchini, I believe he's got a uh, he's got a couple of cases in the basement at Long Island Bar. I don't know whether he thinks they're going to be worth something one day or like he's stocking up for the doomsday. I don't know, but. <laughs> you can always just put a couple of drops of grain alcohol in there and bring that right back up to 44. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. No, I do. I like a beef eater. I do like a beef eater Negroni. Um, what about if we're looking at, you know, some other maybe modern American gins or quote unquote modern. Another one that stands out to me where if I'm like, okay, I want to add definitive character to this cocktail via this ingredient and not mm. stray too far. I'm thinking maybe a Junipero. Yeah, is that still around? Junipero? Junipero? That- yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, they've got some new packaging and it looks it looks pretty great. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, you know, that's um, that's a great gin. That's a super big gin. I haven't had it in a very long time, but yeah, I, I would drink Junipero. Um, is that how it's pronounced? Know, by the way, I've been saying it wrong that. all these years. Yeah, well, I grew up in California, so you know that it's. Um, well, yeah, no, it's a, it's a Spanish inspired, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at my I'm looking at my gin. I'm sitting in my office right now, and I'm looking at like Plymouth Navy Strength. I'm nice. looking at Ford's Officers Reserve. Nice. I'm looking at Portobello Road, like. That's a murderer's row right there. Yeah, it's making my mouth water at 9 o'clock in the morning, to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think those are good ones, right? But I guess guess my question, therefore, is like, yeah, if if, if you're trying to find some kind of gin influence, go for one that doesn't stray too far away from London Dry, right? Definitely. Definitely. And so what about vermouth? Uh, Carpano's been kicked out of bed. Um, Carpano formula has been kicked out of bed, but Carpano Classico is good okay. for Negroni. Um, I always stick with the, and I've had them all, right? Like I've had Negronis made with like crazy Spanish vermouths and, um, you know, crazy American vermouths and they're all good. But I really like, I mean, my very, my number one is Chinzano. Okay. And then after that is probably Martini and Rossi. Like I just want... You know, it's like, um, uh, what's the saying in, um, like food, like if it grows together, it goes together, like in food pairing. Yeah. I think that's true with the Italian, um, herbal elements. Yeah. (laughs) Like I want, I want Italian herbal vermouth and Italian herbal liqueur, right. Or Italian bitter orange herbal liqueur. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm totally on board there. Didn't Martini and Rossi also like bring out some, kind of slightly elevated. Uh, we had Dale DeGroff on recently and he was speaking about a different one. I, I'm not referencing that just in case anyone has listened to that and this now. But I believe, wasn't it like three, four years ago they came out with a kind of elevated cocktail line of vermouth. I seem to recall they were pretty good. They might have, yeah. I, you know, um, I like I said, I don't pay a ton of attention, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> Do, do, do what I do from here. And I don't, I don't necessarily know all of the new, I used to be really up on the new products, but there's, you know, there's a hundred new products every single day. It's hard to keep um, up. 
yeah, it's hard to keep up and, and, uh, you know, by the time a lot of that stuff makes it out here to Oregon, it's mm-hmm. already, you know, five years old. Oh, it's already over. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. You heard about this little thing called White Claw? No, not yet. Is it, <laughs> is it good? <laughs> the good thing about it is there ain't no laws. <laughs> when you're drinking claws. Um, one thing I was going to say while we're, while we're on the hot takes here. Mm, might as well just might as well just get them all out today because we're not usually yeah, this cynical as a show. I do enjoy, from a drinking perspective, these crazy vermouths with a hundred million ingredients that we're seeing emerge here in America. But also, I would say you get a lot from Spain. Mm-mm. I just don't like them in cocktails at all. Yeah, they can be tough. Uh, I tasted a few yesterday that were fantastic. Um, and then I thought, I, ca- I can't imagine putting this like weird, funky, oxidized, herbaceous uh, dry vermouth into a martini. Like it was, I was just like, absolutely not. I mean, yeah, that's 100% the lens through which I'm, I'm viewing this take is just like the martini and some of these. And I'm like, nah, you're just... Which is great if you have like room for all of these different options or, you know, like, uh, and of course vermouth on the rocks or, you know, is delicious, but, um, you know, like our bar is very small, this new bar. And so we can't have like 10 vermouths cause there's nowhere to put them. Yeah. A hundred percent. And from a drinker's perspective as well, I mean, I, if, if I'm talking about martinis again, there's only so many I can drink. And, and I'm not trying to impose limits on myself. You know, I try, but there's only so many. And so <laughs> how often are you reaching for that weird vermouth? Right. And I also, like, we're so busy already that I, I can't really have my bartenders doing a 15-minute masterclass in vermouth where they pull <laughs> everything out of the fridge and and focus in on one guest and pour them a taste of all these different, like... <laughs> It's just an absolute failure of service in my eyes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it is, I mean, I I, I do want to to make it clear here. This does sound fairly cynical overall, but I, I would argue that what we're saying here is this is such a robust cocktail. And it goes back to the original, like, you can't fault it. This thing is bulletproof. And all of these ingredients, it will take them. Do you know what I mean? It will take the funky vermouth mm-hmm. and it will say, yeah, yeah, we can roll with it. That's the beauty of the Negroni. The tone of the conversation is don't, there's no need to overthink it, right? Like uh, you're not going to unlock, you know, it, it's fun to play with different, uh, you know, kind of swapping in these different ingredients, but you're not going to unlock some sort of like the next big Negroni by using your Spanish vermouth or whatever you you know, like, it, the drink is great no matter what you do to it, but you're not missing out. I think a lot of times consumers and maybe even younger bartenders feel like um, that there's something they're not doing right if they're not uh, sort of unlocking these these mystery variations. Yep. And, and I don't think that that's really necessary with this drink. It's great on its own. Um does that make sense? No, a hundred percent. I I totally agree. I mean, if you want to look at it from a career perspective, maybe, um, if you're a young bartender entering the trade now, and you yeah. look at these established classics, there might be something kind of daunting about the fact that's like, guys, 
these things are solid. You don't need to mess with these. You know, you, yeah. can, you can riff upon them. You can come up with drinks inspired by them, but you don't need to go near these recipe-wise. And maybe that's slightly daunting because maybe it's like, well, what am I getting into here? And I think it depends on, on what you're looking to do or how creative you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Like maybe what, what you're looking to get out of, out of the profession itself or, or geek into. Like, do you get more fun out of the rush of service or are you trying to create 15 million drinks a day? That it really gets into a much larger philosophical question about bartending in general, doesn't it? And is that is that something that's changed for yourself over the years? No, I feel like I've been mostly the same. You know, I I I really do like making the same thing over and over and over again a million times because then a million times because that's when we understand something and unlock do something special with it, right? Like like I, I, the barrel aged Negroni never would have happened if I had only made the Negroni like a hundred times, but since I'd already made it like a, you know, 10,000 times, mm -hmm. I was able to find like truly understand the drink and find something like a little niche for it where, where something, you know, something truly like special and different. Mm -hmm. And of course that is, one of the reasons why I said, you know what, this this iconic cocktail, who are we bringing on? It's it's Morgenthaler. It's the 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 barrel aged Negroni, and that speaks to what I was talking about earlier, which is like leave the recipe be. But not only did you take this drink to the next level by aging it in barrel, you mm -hmm. unleashed one million bad cocktails on the world because everyone decided <laughs> to fucking age everything else in barrels. <laughs> I know. Thank you I very know. much. No. Sorry. I know. <laughs> no, no. It's you know, you know what you know what hit for me, you know, like when I knew that I had like made it um was I went to the uh Bellagio uh years ago. Uh you know, the, the casino in Vegas and they Sounds have familiar. a, they have a really kind of fancy bar there and went to the bar for an afternoon after dinner drink with a friend of mine and sat down and, uh, a bartender came over, you know, he's like a bow tie and a vest and the whole, you know, it's very elegant in there. And, and he's like, what can I get you guys? And it was after dinner. And I was like, I would love a Negroni. And he said, uh, would you like, uh, a regular Negroni or our barrel aged Negroni? And, she's like kicking me under the bar stool and I'm like giving her the look, like, don't just don't fucking say anything. Right. Like just zip it. And I'm like, well, let's, well, let's get one of each, you know, let's try them out. So then I get up and go to the bathroom and like the bath, you know, the bathrooms in Vegas, like bars are like always like two blocks away. Right. <laughs> so I'm gone. I'm gone for a while. And I come back and she has told, you know, she's like just buzzed enough after dinner that she says to the bartender, you know, uh, he, my friend, invented the barrel-aged Negroni. And you know what the bartender said to, to her? What's that? He said, no, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's how you know it's like a real thing. It's like nobody would ever believe that yeah. the person sitting at the bar was the guy who came up with that stupid idea. That's, right? It's like, oh, this is just a thing that's been around for a thousand years. That's so yeah. insane. Can, can I share so a personal barrel-aged Negroni anecdote with you as well? Yeah, please. 
Uh, I mean, apart from my own fucking terrible pandemic experiments that are just at the oh, back no. of my fridge. Well, I guess uh, we'll get into that. But I was at a, uh, you know, world's top 50 bar, uh, you know, the type in, uh, in Madrid. Yeah. And uh -huh. I was like, you know, going through the cocktails. Okay, first of all, I'd like to try your martini and then we'll go through some other proprietary stuff. And then I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going out for dinner after this. So, you know, one more before dinner. What do you have that's special? And they're like, boy, do we have something special for you today? Because <laughs> <laughs> let me go get something. It's like five minutes later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, where's yeah, yeah. the guy Must gone? Really special. And he comes out and he's got this like almost jewel encrusted silver um, hip flask. It's in the oh, it's boy. it's in the larger version of the the kind of thing the ramekin that you would crushed ice and have your sidecar in. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 he goes, this cocktail right here. Said, takes I forget the time. He's like. This cocktail right here took three months to prepare and just a couple of mm. minutes to serve. And he poured it out of the thing and into a glass of ice. And I was just like, this is a this is a barrel aged Negroni. We're all on this just so that we're all on the same page here. And he was like, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like the most majestic thing in the world. And this was this was like summer 2019 <laughs> we're not talking you know like a long long time ago i don't know i don't right. mean to show throw uh, throw shade sorry but i'm just like this thing has status cachet around the world it's crazy so how did you come up with it and also like what is the key to perfecting that drink itself because that that variation on the drink because like i said i made one over the pandemic and it was terrible yeah, I mean, you got to have like good barrels, right? Like, and you got to have, I think you got to, I think the key to it was, you know, we always used whiskey barrels, like, and I think that imparting that like whiskey flavored out, because I've had barrel and gronies that were in just these like mass produced, like tiny, like, you know, yep. four liter. That was me. Yeah, and those barrels are gross. They don't taste good. They're so charred. They're so green. Oh, they're so green. They're so yucky. Um, you know, we always got, uh, we would either get, um, you know, smaller whiskey barrels from Tuttletown or we would make them ourselves. We had a guy who was a regular who was a, um, a barrel importer mm -hmm. uh, in wine country here. And he would give us French oak barrels like, um, like 20 liter French oak barrels nice. and we would season them with whiskey and then age them in there. So it really like, now you're starting to talk about imparting, um, you know, beautiful oak notes and vanillin and the whiskey, you know, like yeah. the whole thing is like, you're oxidizing the vermouth slightly. And it's just like, you know, but you can't just throw, you just can't throw wood at something and, and think that that is going to make it good. Like not all wood, tastes delicious no no and especially not when you're buying it like online from a dodgy website <laughs> like, no. you know, like that's yeah. where you know and it's new and they're like what you need to do with this barrel is for like the first five days or something you need to like keep it filled with water and then when mm -hmm. you rinse it out i mean it's just char it's and so yeah there it's you go yeah 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 
but the the, the barrel but it is, you know i'm i'm so honored and grateful that that drink really took off in the way that it did you know i know it's become something of like a joke now you know which is kind of what happens to drinks uh eventually but that's how you know you made it actually properly yeah, totally you know what i mean like not totally. being taken too seriously forever right not that I, not that right. I'm, not that I'm doing anything against this, because I, I, I should point out that the barrel aged iteration of this drink is absolutely wonderful in the right hands. Like it's, a, it's a phenomenal cocktail. Well, I think that's, oh, sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> I think that's why uh, it became so popular. The one that we did at Clyde was gorgeous. Like it was absolutely stunning. Um. You know, and so, yeah, in the right hands, it's it's an amazing drink. And in the wrong hands, it's a total fucking joke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just understanding, yeah, the, the, the tools that you're working with there. And I mean, it makes sense as well, the, the, whiskey, the whiskey aspect of, the, of those barrels, because we know Boulevardier is a cocktail that's absolutely delicious, yep. you know, so we know yep. the formula works. So let's just add a little bit of that influence in there. And like you say, a bit more oxidation. I do believe that one I had in Spain... Uh, you know, it was it was a good version of the drink, by the way. Like it wasn't a bad one. I was just kind of surprised by the fanfare. But um, I think yeah, I think yeah. there were you know I think there was like some probably Amontillado barrels or something involved in it too. So I mean, like they were doing sure it right. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And so I you know I've just always liked like you know like we were saying there isn't much groundbreaking stuff that you're going to do to this drink with the gin or the vermouth, or even the Campari. So it's like, what's left, right? It's mm -hmm. the it's the preparation that's left, you know? And that's why, you know, we did the, um, you know, we did slushy Negronis. I did, uh, during the pandemic, I put out a recipe for Negroni sorbet, like a sorbetto mm -hmm. um, that you can do in like an ice cream maker at home. That's more of a dessert than a cocktail. Um, you know, blended, I did a whole tour with, uh, Campari Germany mm -hmm. years ago with, uh, Mauro Majub, you know, who literally wrote the book on Negronis. Um, and we did our versions of Negronis all over Germany. And I did a blended one. I showed up in all these like really fancy cocktail bars in all over Germany with a stick blender and a bunch of orange juice. And I made blended Negronis for all these unsuspecting guests who'd come to watch me do something like very, very fancy, but it was summer and it was like, <laughs> it was like the perfect drink, you know? And it's like, you know, like 80% of the people got it. And 20% of the people thought that I was a fucking idiot. And, you know, I think maybe they're both right. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, did you come across this trend during the pandemic as well? Good friend of mine, friend of the show, Vine Pair writer, Aaron Goldfarb wrote about it for our mm. site, the Tigroni. No, what's that? So there was a guy, I believe he was in um, New England. I, I should have researched this or, or reminded myself of this before the show, but it just came into my mind when you were talking about those little variations there. He was buying airport miniatures or the, you know, like the travel size bottles of each uh -huh. of the components. It was Carpano sure. for sure, Campari, and I forget what the gin was. And he was taping them together. <laughs> and then doing videos on his Instagram of basically just like dumping them all together at once into the glass. And that's the Tigroni. Huh? You know? Yeah. 
when the moon hits your eye. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the preparation briefly here of the, the, okay. the classic version. Um, if you are going to, you know, gun to your head, this is the last one that I'm making. I want it to be perfect. Can you, mm. can you, um, can you outline that preparation for us from start to finish here, including, yeah, your preferred ingredients that you're calling for there and, and those specs. I go an ounce of beef eater, ounce of Campari, ounce of Cinzano, stirred, over fresh ice, not a big cube, because I think that's a dumb way to drink a Negroni. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, you want it, you want some dilution, you want it, you know. And also like Dale DeGroff said about those big cubes is like, you want to have like a little... I don't know if this was the right word, but this is the word Dale used a, a little tinkle in the glass. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, you, want, you definitely want the sound of the ice cubes. I don't know if having a tinkle in a glass is really the right term. But, uh, <laughs> when Dale says it, he gets, he gets a pass, you know, it sounds he good. Um, but yeah, um, you know, you want to hear the the ice cubes clinking together. Um, and you know what I like, I, I, you know, I always garnish my, um, uh, at work, I always garnish our Negronis with an orange twist, but you know what I like? I like a wedge. Oh, okay. Cause you know what you can do with a wedge? You can squeeze some of that orange juice in it. Yeah. And it, and it like a Negroni with orange juice is not bad ever. We are very familiar with the fact that Campari plays well with orange juice. This has been established, right? It's literally made from oranges. <laughs> it would be weird if it didn't work in orange with orange juice. Yep. So, yeah. Grows together. Grows together, goes together. Exactly. And and are you you're 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 for this one you're opting for I'm assuming a chilled glass, you know, we're we're, we're going for perfection here. You have a preferred oh, little yeah, rocks know, glass. Yeah. Yeah. You have a preferred rocks I glass. Keep, my, I keep your glass in the freezer where it belongs. Me too. <laughs> That's good. Any other thoughts here on on the Negroni itself, or just anything you'd like to get off your chest? I guess just any other takes while we're at it. Just bef- before we head into the final section of the show. What if I just launched it, like in a do a tirade of like beefs, like a bunch of stuff that I got wanted to get off my chest that had nothing to do with the Negroni? Uh, w- w- we're good for two or three. What you got? <laughs> Twenty five minutes later, I'm like, here's a here's another thing. <laughs> I don't like paper straws. All right, there. I said it. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to drink my drink out of a piece of pasta. Yeah. Uh, no. The straws are weird. The straws are terrible. But you know, apparently, you're just a horrible human being if you. You, you know, you want to, you want to hear, uh, do you want a story? You want a quick story? Yeah. Nothing to do with Negroni. Perfect. Like 95% of the rest of the episode. Yeah. I was, I was, I was working this event at a bar, like kind of a, you know, it was like a party, kind of a guest bartending thing. I was setting up my station. And I said to the bartender, Hey, where are your straws? You know, so I can like straw taste the drinks. And she said, uh, 
Oh, we don't, we use plastic straws. We don't even use paper straws. We're super committed to being as zero waste as possible here. So we use these metal straws. So she hands me a bunch of metal straws and she's like, when you're done, uh, just take it and put it in the sanitizer bucket down here and then we'll wash them to the dishwasher. And again, yeah, no straws. Cause we're trying to be zero waste. I was like, okay. Um, I don't see any guns. Like, what do you do for soda water here? It's like, oh, we've got these tiny little bottles of soda water in the fridge. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I was like, great. Okay. So I grabbed one. It was like hot and I, you know, hot day. And I drank the drink, drank it. And I was like looking around. I go, where's the, sorry, where's the recycling bin? And she was like, oh yeah, they don't have recycling here. So we just throw it in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, well, that, you know, those six ounces of straws are really going to make a difference when you're throwing 300 pounds of of glass in the landfill every day. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. Anyway. We're about to head into our final section of the show. Before we do, Han. Yeah. What's the most expensive hamburger you've ever eaten? Oh, shit. Um... I, you know what? The, the, here's the thing about the most expensive hamburger anybody's ever eaten. Um, you don't remember anything about it, but the price, right? Like you don't, <laughs> yeah. there's never anything. It's never, it's never the best burger you've ever had ever. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure I've had some like 28 to $30 hamburgers and I have no recollection of them because I'm sure they were all just like fine. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like Negroni. The hamburger is the the Negroni of the food world. I think, you know, it's like stop fucking with it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Serve it with fries, not these potato chips. Anyway, we digress. Serve with fries. I have, I have feelings. We'll share them. We'll share them another time because (laughs) (laughs) now is the time. Can I come on your burger podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is the section of the show, of course, where we get to know you more as a drinker and a bartender with our five weekly recurring questions. We're going to no kick way. it off here and we're going to kick it off with question number one, which is what style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Um, the current back bar, it's hard to say because it's still in flux, but at Clyde Common, we had like... I don't know, 200 different American whiskeys. Um, and I'm sure this bar, you know, it's still the spirit that we get asked about the most. So I'm sure it'll be American whiskey. It's just like, you know, or, or tequila, but probably American whiskey. Yeah, it's a solid one. And also it's, it's a category that benefits from having a number of different styles within it too, right? I mean, like, I feel yeah, like that's sure. sometimes unfair. Um, but I mean, amazing things happening in that category right now. Question number two, which ingredient or tool do you believe to be the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Ooh, uh, wine key, a really good wine key. For bartenders? Yeah, for sure. Not that I'm questioning you, I'm just, I'm prompting you. Tell me what, tell me what bartenders are doing. Opening a lot of wine, I'm assuming, just, just wondering if you've got any other hacks with it. Uh, a lot of wine, a lot of beer bottles. I also like, I kind of use mine as a multi-tool. Like, um, you know, when you can't, you can't get like a pour spout out properly, you need to, you need to kind of finagle it with the wine key. I also use the knife on the wine key to break down cardboard boxes, which is probably something that I've done most of in my career. Yeah. 
over the past 26 years is break down cardboard boxes. Um, yeah, I think it's, I, and you know, you, you asked what the most undervalued, and I think that that's one that's most undervalued. I think a lot of people just go with the free one from the liquor store yeah. or from the wine rep. Invest. Um, invest. Yeah. I mean, I've got, you know, mine, mine is like a $35 wine key. It's like a really, really expensive for wine keys, you know, cause usually, like I said, they're free. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I never let it out of my sight when somebody wants to borrow it. I just stand there and wait for them to hand it back. Like <laughs> <laughs> It's like a lighter if you're of that yeah, persuasion yeah, totally. or a Sharpie. <laughs> Two yeah, things never Sharpie. let go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's another undervalued tool is a Sharpie. Yeah. No one's ever bought a lighter in their life. They just exist. No, you just steal it. You just steal. They're just passed on. I've never finished yeah. a lighter. I've never bought one. They just float. I don't even know the how ether. much they cost. Are they like a dollar or are they like $10? And that's why you, sir, can't run for office because it's up there with uh, a pint of milk and a, a loaf of bread, which is the oh, thing right. you need to know is the down-to-earth person. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't, I can't relate to the common man who's apparently buying a bunch of lighters. <laughs> <laughs> Question number three, what's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Um, get some comfortable shoes. Nice. Yeah. Do you have a yeah. do you have a recommendation? I'm a Dansko guy. Dansko, this is one I'm not familiar with. Oh yeah, it's a Danish uh, clog. It's like a kitchen clog. It's like the Danish, uh, like sim- similar, more similar to a Birkenstock or more similar to a Croc. Neither. Uh, okay. It's got kind of a tall heel. They're real clunky. They're super uncomfortable. Are they wooden heeled? Huh? Are they wooden heeled? Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. They're chunky and hard. I mean, they're not necessarily made out of wood. I think they do have some versions that are made out of wood, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's really the best shoe that I've ever worn. I've been wearing them for 20 plus years now. Nice. Exclusively. Yeah. My, my first ever executive chef at a hotel I worked in in London would wear those, but this was, you know, like a hotel and he was an exec chef. So they looked very uncomfortable from the other side of his desk. Cause I didn't see him anywhere else. So. Right. You know, yeah, <laughs> per guy, and I'll throw in shade there anyway. We'll edit that one out. Per guy, uh, question number four. <laughs> I'm sure they were very clean too, they were super clean and yeah. and they looked really great in the reflection of his uh of his PC screen where he was looking at his yacht. So, yeah, <laughs> true story. Um, wow, question number four if you could only visit one last bar in your life, past or present. Real or fictional? What oh, would it wow. be? God, um, I mean, I've been to so many of the ones that like, you know, I've always wanted to cross off the list, right? Like I've been to the secret bar at Disneyland a bunch of times. Nice. Um, yeah. Oh boy. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, I guess I would probably, you know what I would like to do? Actually, here's what I would like to do. Here's the bar that I would like to visit one last time. Uh, and I really want to go there because it doesn't exist. I wish I, I could go back to the bar that I started tending bar in. That would be awesome. Tell us about yeah, that. And it was a really old bar. It was a neighborhood bar. It was a wonderful bar. It was a beautiful bar. It had been around since 1933. 
and the owner just kind of ran it into the ground and and then there was a fire and it just doesn't you know it just doesn't exist anymore in any sort of real way and i wish i could go back i wish i could just time machine and go back and like sit at my own bar and just watch myself flopping around like a trout on a dock back there <laughs> you know it was, this 24 years old, just getting his ass kicked, like, <laughs> you know, just not doing anything right. And I wish I could just kind of sneak in and grab a beer and sneak out. That would be cool. And you're, you're, you're there, the other side of yourself, you're saying, son, stick at it. One day you're going to come up no, with a barrel. And <laughs> no, the I would be like, stuff. I would be like, I'd be like, go change your major get a business degree, get the fuck out of here, make some money. <laughs> <laughs> very, very nice. Final question today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? Like going to be my last how? Like I'm in like the front of like a firing squad or just like, like it's, how, it's open. how does this one end? It's open to interpretation. It's your last drink on earth. You may or may not be aware of it. I'm going to say you're aware of it. Oh, hmm. Um, I would have my girlfriend make me a Manhattan because she always makes a delicious Manhattan. Um, we rarely drink cocktails, um, but every once in a while, after a particularly hard day, if if she's in charge of making dinner, she'll make a Manhattan. This has only happened a handful of times, but she'll make a Manhattan. Nice. And, uh, and it's always the best Manhattan I've ever had. That's all. Yeah, that's all you can ask and she's for. She's not a bartender. She's not a bartender. She just makes it like a person, you know, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> I so <like> much it. <laughs> better. She's not going, you know, I like this Negroni, but uh, I, I want you to dial back on the Campari just by a quarter. Yeah, ounce. exactly. 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 She's not like overthinking this Manhattan. She's just grabbing whatever whiskey she has and some vermouth and some bitters. And, <laughs> and she's like, hey, <laughs> I ran out of sweet vermouth, so I went with Coca-Cola. What do you know? Totally. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. That's how, and, I, and that's when I tell her that's actually how the Manhattan was invented. <laughs> it sure was. There you go. We like to bring it back full circle. Jeffrey Morgenthaler, the first of many, I'm hoping. We're, we're going to have you back for a different one. We know that. Bring me. Bring me on. I'm ready. Tag me in, coach. Um, no, thanks again for joining us. It's been a blast. It's been a wonderful, wonderful one. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's go make some Negronis. Sounds great. Cheers. Thanks, buddy. Okay. That was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, VinePair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, 
art director at VinePair for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. <laughs>